in our minds and our spirits as we took communion, as we sang those well-known Christmas songs, as we reflected on the magnitude of what you have done by leaving heaven to come to earth to rescue us. And Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts open to you today. I pray that our minds would be attentive. I pray, I pray that we'll pay good attention to what gets said today so that we can respond with steps of faith the way that you want us to. And we ask all these things together in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> that word peace, sometimes you hear that word peace like it's a popular greeting today. I know as this young lady here, as she accidentally dropped the mic, I leaned over to somebody and I would say it was like, it was like she was doing a rap song or something and then she just like drops the mic and gets ready to walk off stage, but I don't think that was her intention. Um, but peace is a popular greeting today. A lot of the times when I hear that word peace, it's at the end of somebody's talk, they're sort of signing off and they, they're being really cool and they'll say, peace. They'll finish up a talk or a rant or they'll have a take on something and they'll say, peace. And then if they're really cool, I mean like super cool, like I can't be, but I can only aspire to be cool, they will do the fist bump and the peace sign. They'll do, they'll go, peace out. And when you see somebody do that, you know they are super cool, and you can't even hardly be in their presence. Well, you know, at this time, at Christmas, we're a week before the holiday, and for some of us, Christmas is anything but peaceful. Do any of these words perhaps describe your Christmas season in this moment? Maybe you're even thinking about all the preparations and all the shopping and all the things that have to get done in order for you to have a nice, quiet, peaceful Christmas, right? Uh, the words come to mind like hurried or stuffed or packed or busy or scattered or behind or maybe even broke. Maybe you have been on one of those busy highways out there and it has brought out the worst in you. I know I picked up Lisa. She is back with us now to stay. I picked her up from the airport yesterday and we're driving home. We're coming down the 80 and there was kind of a traffic jam and I thought, wow, this is amazing. This is a Saturday afternoon about midday and the I-80's jam going to San Francisco. What is going on? Well, that's just another sign of the busy holiday season. People are out and about doing their thing. Um, it's just our annual reminder why Santa, why Santa takes the sleigh and not the interstate. He knows better, right? You know, when you look at the New Testament, the revelation about Jesus and what he means to us, and when you get to... Uh, you get past the Gospels and you get into the New Testament letters written by the Apostle Paul. Most of the time, the Apostle Paul, when he begins those letters, he begins with a greeting. And the greeting he uses for most of the churches is usually just two words. He says to them, grace and peace. I think Paul, when he was using that greeting of grace and peace, he was combining two ideas. That word peace is that Hebrew word shalom. When you think of the word shalom, the, the idea is that I not only have peace with God, I have peace with my own family members, I have peace with my fellow man, I don't have a grudge against anybody, nobody has a grudge against me, or at least I'm trying to be at peace with all men, and if you can honestly experience that, you will have shalom, you will have peace. Paul was intending to convey that in that word. 
He also said that word grace, which is another great New Testament word. It's a word that reminds us that everything that we have is a gift from God. We don't earn a right relationship with God. We don't get on a performance treadmill of religion and say, if I can just do the right things and, do, and avoid the wrong things, then maybe God will look at me and he will accept me for my religious performance. Grace is the opposite of that. Grace means we get something that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, that God is willing to give us in his son Jesus. And that is what we're celebrating this year. So I say to you guys, grace and peace. Now, you may see a prop up here and you say, Jim, I haven't seen you bring up one of these props before. Well, this is my first time doing this. And so far, the lighters worked and the candles have lit. So I'm praying that the same thing happens this particular time. We are preparing our hearts for the arrival of Messiah. And these four candles are a reminder to us of the four Sundays of Advent. Remember what we said Advent was? Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. It means coming or arrival. And we are preparing our hearts for the coming of Messiah. And so the first week of Advent, we celebrated the word hope. And when you celebrate hope, you see that light is being lit. It's like Jesus is the light of the world. Light of the world has come down into darkness. Open our eyes so we could see. You know, Jesus is our hope. We are hoping, that is an expectation that something better is coming. Something good is on his way. Good things are in store for us in a right relationship with God because Messiah is coming. So we have the word hope. The next word we have on the second Sunday of Advent is the word love. Love reminds me of John 3.16, where it's, a, it's the most well-known verse in the Bible, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. I used to watch the NFL football games, and there was usually a guy with a rainbow wig on, and he had a giant poster, and all it said was John 3.16. And I wonder how many people looked up that, that verse as they were watching the NFL football game. I don't know if you guys know about an ex-football player Strong Christian young man. His name is Tim Tebow. You guys are aware of who Tim Tebow is? He used to play for Florida, and then he played for the Denver Broncos, and then he got shuffled around to a few other places too. But when Tim Tebow was playing for the Denver Broncos, on a night in January about four years ago, Tim Tebow wrote John 3.16 on that, those black smudges that they put under their eyes. I, I like to call them war paint because, you know, it's like football's going to war out there on the gridiron. So but instead of just painting it black under his eyes, he put John 3.16. And what we found out that night as the Denver Broncos upset and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game was that John 3.16 was looked up that night by 90 million people in America. 90 million people in America. What a witness for Christ. And if you can Google this or you can look it up on the Internet, Tim Tebow did an interview with... Uh, Harry Connick Jr., you know the singer? He's very good. Sounds a little like Frank Sinatra, but not at the same time. So he's good, but he's not all blue eyes. <laughs> Harry Connick Jr. is interviewing Tim Tebow, and he's asking him about that night. And there were a number of amazing, quote, coincidence, I don't think so, kind of facts about 316. For example, just one of them was that Tim Tebow that night threw for 316 yards. 
And there are about four or five or six other 316s that happened in that, that particular football game. And so Tim Tebow says, you know, I try to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. I try to be a witness for him. I let the whole world know that I love Jesus and I follow him. And I try to be his witness. And Tim Tebow definitely was that night for John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And so we have hope in the first Sunday of Advent. We have love in the second Sunday of Advent. In the, fir- in the third Sunday of Advent, we are reminded of the word joy. You remember what the angel said to the shepherds, and we're going to talk about that today. He says, for today I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And we can rejoice in the Lord. We can have joy that our Savior has come. And now finally, we arrive to week number four, which is today. Today happens to be the fourth Sunday of Advent. And we have a new word to remind ourselves of the coming of Messiah. And that is the word peace. Peace, where the angel says after he announced that he brings good news of great joy, that in the town of David, Jesus has been born, and he said, and this will be a sign, you'll see the babe lying in a swaddling clothes in a manger, and then he says, uh, and then the angels just break out in praise, and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. But it's not just any kind of a peace. It's the kind of peace that really only God can give. Now, most of the players in this Christmas drama that we've talked about in these past weeks, they've inspired us by their faith, their ability to trust God and to overcome the odds and the obstacles, even when their own world was turning upside down. We have the story of Mary, who was such a willing, humble servant. She said after the... (laughs) Angel made this incredible announcement. Yeah, you're pregnant, but yes, you are a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant and you're going to give birth to Messiah. And instead of saying, what? You know, what's going to... She didn't think about all the ramifications, everything. She just said, look, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. What an attitude. What an attitude. Even though her world was going to turn upside down. And then we have her, her engaged fiance, Joseph, who sees his pregnant uh, bride-to-be who wasn't his fault, and he's thinking, okay, something happened here. And now Joseph gets the revelation from the angel that night, and he says, Mary is, is still a virgin. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You are to marry her. You are to have the son, Jesus, and you are to raise him and give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So we have Mary. We have Joseph. And then last week, we saw the Magi. These religious scholars, these curious stargazers at night that see the star in the sky and conclude that the Messiah, the Jewish King of Kings, has been born. And they pack up their camels and they go all the way from eastern lands, traveling for months just to get to Bethlehem to worship the Christ child and to offer him their gifts. And so now we arrive to the fourth Sunday of Advent and we're going to talk about this other humble group of men And perhaps boys also, this motley bunch in our story that we know as the shepherds. God continues to reveal His Son, but to this time, He's revealing it to people whom we certainly would not expect. So, as Linus got the spotlight in the Charlie Brown Christmas story, and as the lights came down low and the spotlight came on him, I too will read from verse 8 in Luke chapter 2. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds. Who were these men? When I read about this, I, I ask questions when I'm reading God's Word. I say, who were these guys, these shepherds? And how many of them were there on sheep guard duty that night? We know from first century Jewish culture, we know that these guys were not exactly high up on the first century social ladder. Not at all. In fact, they were probably just above the hated tax collectors. That's about how high these lowly shepherds ranked. They were their typical blue-collar manual laborers. Their job was certainly not very exciting. I mean, what is your job? You get to watch sheep. I mean, isn't sheep what we count when we're trying to fall asleep? Unless you're being Crosby, and then you count blessings instead of sheep. Maybe you and I can relate to these shepherds. Maybe you have or maybe you have had what some people would call a blue-collar job. Maybe you have a job that some people might think of as degrading or maybe not be all that fancy or maybe, wow, you work there, seriously? Maybe the extent of your secondary or extended higher education, maybe all that education for you is the school of hard knocks. And if so, that's okay because maybe you have a lot of common sense. You don't have to have education to have common sense. In fact, Common sense may make you a whole lot smarter than some academics. Some of those people are educated way beyond their intelligence. <laughs> these shepherds, these lowly blue-collar guys, they were on the job. They were out in the fields. They're watching over their flocks by night. And surprisingly, just after Jesus is born in Bethlehem, God actually speaks to them. God speaks to these shepherds through an angel, through his messengers. And I'm sorry, I just have to pause for a, sec a moment, and I have to say something about angels. Because the most famous Christmas story around that has an angel in it that I know of, other than the preacher's wife, which isn't that popular anymore, but I still like it. I like the Denzel Washington version is um, there's a, the story, the famous one is It's a Wonderful Life. And we meet this lovable old guy named Clarence. And Clarence is an angel, but Clarence used to be a human being who died over 200 years ago. And now for him to get his wings as an angel, he has to go do something good on earth. It's a wonderful story. It has absolutely no biblical truth in it. <laughs> because angels are not human beings. And human beings, when they die, they don't become angels. I, I have to tell you, I've, I've officiated a number of funerals and memorial services over the past five years, and I can tell you the most common thing that gets said by people who are outside the church is they say, so-and-so has died, and she's going to be an angel now watching over us, or he's going to be an angel looking out for us, making sure we're okay, and everybody's like, oh, that's a wonderful thought, yes. That is not what the Bible teaches, though. The Bible teaches that angels are separate beings created by God, and they are God's messengers, they are God's servants. If you read in Hebrews chapter 1, it even says angels are servants for our sake and on our behalf. So human beings are not angels, human beings are messengers from God. And there is a powerful one, and his name is Gabriel. He was the one that spoke to Zechariah. Gabriel was the one who spoke to Mary. Gabriel is known as the angel who is the protector over the nation of Israel in Daniel's book in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if this was Gabriel himself, but it says an angel of the Lord 
was speaking to the shepherds that night. So back to the shepherds. They're near Bethlehem. It's only five or six miles south, southeast of Jerusalem. The temples there in Jerusalem, we know that the, all the Jewish sacrifices, all the animals who gave their innocent lives in order to provide atonement and forgiveness for the Jewish people, that, the, that the, many of these animals were sacrificed up at the temple. And it says that the shepherds were out in the fields watching over their flocks by night. This very well could have been the time or the season when the sheep were giving birth to the lambs. And those very lambs may not have been long for this world because they may have been shipped north about five or six miles to be partaking and participants unwilling in the sacrificial system that was going on there up in Jerusalem. But back to the shepherds themselves, because this is how it all began. On this very night that Jesus was born, for the shepherds, it was just another dull, ordinary night. They're out in their fields. The greatest challenge that they had that night was probably just staying awake until, until a major divine interruption happened. And now the angel appears and has some major good news to share with them. Max Lucado says about this night, he says, It was an ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. But then suddenly the black sky exploded with brightness. Trees that had been shadows jumped into clarity. Sheep that had been silent suddenly became a chorus of curiosity. What's going on? I just added that part. <laughs> One minute the shepherd was asleep and the next... He's rubbing his eyes, or he's half asleep, and next minute now he's rubbing his eyes and he's staring into the face of the angel. And it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. They were terrified. God comes to bring them good news, and what does man do when the angel appears? He's scared. He's terrified. Friends, when you read in the Bible, most of the time, when you read about a human being who has an encounter with God or an has a direct encounter with an angel, there's almost one consistent response in that human being. Fear. Fear. Is God going to judge them because they know God is holy, that He's righteous, He's totally morally perfect without sin? The minute you come into God's presence, it's like Isaiah says. He says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among an unclean people. The minute you come into God's presence, you become aware of your own moral failures. And I can imagine these shepherds of all people, they would have that feeling. Is this holy, righteous God now appeared to them? Is he going to punish them? Is he going to judge them for their sins? In Psalm 130, the Bible tells us, If you, O Lord, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? So these shepherds, they needed a lot of encouragement. Not to keep on their ground with their face to the ground, cowering in fear. And so to each one of them, the angel says, don't be afraid. I think if you, if you think about our lives and whenever there was a radical change, there, whenever there was a turn in the road and a pivot that we needed to make in our lives, and it, and it was scary and we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. A lot of times when we're faced with a radical change, doesn't that almost always bring fear before it brings faith, we assume that the worst is going to happen sometimes. And actually, even though these shepherds thought the worst had happened, God has shown up to punish them, God actually had the best in mind. 
for these shepherds. So the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Check out these shepherds, these lowly blue-collar manual labor guys, these nobodies in Jewish culture. These were the marginal people of society. To these shepherds, they were the first people to hear the good news. Why did God go to them first? What does that say to you and me about who God is? For one thing, if it tells me anything, it says, you know what? Jesus, he is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for the rich, and he is for the poor. Jesus is for the powerful, and Jesus is also for the downtrodden. Do you remember when Jesus launched his ministry? This is in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus is a new, popular, itinerant preacher. There's rumors that he's done these miracles. He's made lepers' skin heal. He's made these blind people see. He has done these amazing, miraculous things, and people were flocking to his hometown in Nazareth, where on the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and by the way, that word synagogue just means assembly. So the assembly of God was there in Nazareth, and they were gathering around to hear Jesus. And when he announced his ministry publicly, he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus said these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To bring good news to the poor. So to this group of lowly, humble, marginalized, outsider shepherds, it must have been especially comforting for them to hear this news. Their Messiah, their Savior, it says that He was born to you, to them, Wow! Think of it. These shepherds mattered to God. The Savior's birth announcement was given first to them. And they didn't have to go too far to find, it, to find this newborn babe because the angel says to them, he's going to be nearby in Bethlehem. He's going to be in town lying in a feeding trough for animals. How astounding. How astounding for them that God has now come down to their level. Peter says in his letter, he says, God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. We come to God and we have this proud attitude like, you owe me something. Or I want what's coming to me. I have been a faithful person. I have been a religious person. I have tried to do right and not do wrong. Well, let's don't talk about the wrong things I did. But I'm, let's talk about all the right things I did. That attitude of pride will never get you anywhere with God. Because the Bible says God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. And God is pouring out his grace on these humble shepherds. Bob Goff, who is the author of a great book called Love Does, he's one of the funniest guys that you'll ever hear speak in a church. He's super positive. He's got all these crazy, wild adventures that he goes on for God. Bob Goff says this, when we have lost our way, we need shepherds, not sheriffs. That night around Bethlehem for these shepherds, it went from being ordinary and boring to absolutely phenomenal. The angel came in that night, and he came to them at night because that's when light is best seen. That's when light is most needed, at nighttime, in the dark. And it all happened in a most remarkable moment, a moment like no other, 
because heaven had opened and her most precious one entered into the human race through a human womb, God had come near. Is it the greatest news ever? What would the sign be? Something huge, right? What would the sign be that Messiah has come to earth? You think it'd be amazing, this fanfare, this 110 marching band with the coronets, like in the Music Man or something. Do you think it'd be something huge? But the angel says to them, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Wow, that's not very, doesn't seem very exciting. Doesn't seem very uh, over the top, extraordinary. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. In the mystery of Christmas, Christmas is a mystery. God becoming a human being, that is a mystery. That is something that we will never fully comprehend. In that mystery of Christmas, that is where we find its majesty. That is the mystery of God taking on human flesh and why did he even choose to come at all and how much he must love his people in order to humble himself that much. And so the angels may be even thinking on that. Our God in heaven has become a human being to rescue this motley group of humans, including these shepherds here. He's coming for them. And so the angels could not contain their excitement. Now they lit up the night sky with worship and praise, and the angel said, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace on those whom God's favor rests. Peace on earth. Wow. When you hear those words, don't you hear that all the time? I just saw a a bumper sticker that said that. Peace on earth. It's a great idea. But seriously, in, in our lifetimes, in anybody's lifetimes, when have we really had that on earth? Peace on earth. Notice this verse, though. If you read that verse carefully, it says, And on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's not necessarily peace that is being unconditionally promised to everyone. For example, the Bible says in Isaiah, the Bible says there's no peace for the wicked. So they're not, the, certain people are never going to have peace here on earth. In the shepherd's day, when they lived there in Israel, uh, this country they lived in was occupied under, quote, the peaceful rule of Rome. In fact, they even had a Latin term to brag about this Roman peace that they created in the Mediterranean world after they conquered everybody. They called it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It meant really that you, as a citizen of your country, as long as you submitted to their iron rule, as long as you paid them considerable taxes, as long as you were willing to house their soldiers and put up with them, then yeah, you and your country would have peace. I don't think that was very peaceful for the people living in Israel under the Roman boot in their day in the first century, the time that Jesus was born. How about people today? How do you think most people are trying to find peace today? Most people look for peace today in some kind of financial security. Most people think having money in the bank, if I just had some money in the bank, I would have peace. But friends, money in the bank can be taken away, it can be wiped out. Didn't we see that seven, eight years ago when everybody's 401k suddenly became a 201k or a 101k? That money is not secure. I like the joke Max Lucado tells of this person who's worrying about his finances all the time. 
And he's reflecting on the Christ story in Bethlehem. And it says, The shepherds stayed awake, keeping watch over their flocks by night. You've been sleeping with one eye open, trying to keep watch over your stocks by night. No, friends, if if we're going to have the peace that God is talking about, we're going to need a much deeper, more lasting peace than something that a government can give to us or something that a bank account can provide for us. We need God's peace. And that's what we have in Christ. Paul says it in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you know that your sins are forgiven, when you know that feeling that David had in his heart when he's expressing his love for God in Psalm 32, and he says, blessed or happy, blessed is, the, is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. God doesn't count our sins against us. How is that going to work? Don't you, when you do wrong, don't you deserve to be punished? Isn't God a holy God? Doesn't God, in his righteous anger, pour out his wrath against sin? Yes, he did. But he poured out his wrath against sin on his very own son, Jesus. And when he went to the cross, he paid the penalty for the sin that you and I have committed. And so we are blessed to have our transgressions and our sins forgiven because God no longer counts our sin against us because he, all, he put them all on Jesus and now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is some good news. And at Christmas time, some of the finest music in our Western world comes from inspired composers who are pouring out their talents to God, trying their best in the Christmas story to magnify Jesus and the blessings that he brought to mankind. Let's go back to the shepherds. So now the shepherds, they hear this story. They're trying not to be afraid. I got to think they're still shaking a little bit in their sandals. So they're, so they're here. They're hearing the news. The night sky lights up with thousands, perhaps millions of angels singing God's praises, glory to God in the highest. And then they disappear because it says the angels went back to heaven instantly, somehow back to heaven through some other dimension where heaven is. And it says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see him whose birth the angels sing. I'm sorry, that's a song. Let's go back to the verse itself. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. That doesn't sound quite so well. But let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so the man or whoever it was wrote that song, come Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. I love the attitude of these shepherds. They were obviously blown away by this angelic visit, and now they wanted to go and verify the news for themselves. And so they do like the song says, haste, 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 haste to get to Bethlehem so they can bring him Laud. Laud's a great word. (laughs) Laud is a word most people don't understand. I remember seeing it in Spanish for the first time, and I was like, Laud, what is that? Laud is is praise. Laud is exaltation. Laud, Laud is let's exalt the name of the Lord and lift his name on high. That's what Laud is. So they're saying, haste, haste, let's go to Bethlehem and bring him Laud. 
And so verse 14, they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had told him about this child. And all who heard it, all who heard these shepherds' testimony as to what they saw that night, they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Shepherds couldn't, I love their attitude. Once they saw, once they verified for themselves, they couldn't contain it in anymore. And just like the angels announced glory to God in the highest, so the shepherds went looking for people, friends, family members, neighbors in Bethlehem and said, you can't believe what we saw tonight. But the Messiah, the Savior has been born and he's right here in our own hometown of Bethlehem. That's the good news that they had to share. And would we, in this Christmas season, also be like the shepherds? Would we have the excitement to say, we have a great Savior. We have a great God who loved us so much to send us Jesus. Everybody needs to know that good news. Friends, this good news is for everyone. This good news is for the president to the undocumented worker who's on the corner trying to get a day job. This good news is from rural Arkansas all the way to Upper East Manhattan. This good news is from California to Qatar and Kuwait. This, move, this good news is all the way from Baltimore to Baghdad. Everyone now has access to God through His Son, Jesus, who came to be our rescuer, our deliverer from sin and death. And so they break out in song again. Not these guys, but in our hymns that we sing at Christmas time. Shepherds, why this jubilee? Why are you so happy? Why your joyous strains prolong? What the gladsome tidings be? What's the news you have to share that inspire your heavenly song? When the shepherds arrived to the animal stall, they saw that the angels' words were true. But what they saw was this this amazingly remarkable gift from God in heaven came in a very simple, ordinary, unremarkable package. That's what happened in Bethlehem. That's what they were witness to. No one expected God to come in that way, especially these shepherds, but he did. And Jesus came here. Jesus came near. Jesus came for every blue-collar day laborer that there is on the planet. He comes for everyone whom society pushes away or marginalized. You know why? Because everyone matters to God. They matter to God. You matter to God. We matter to God. He loves us that much, and he came for you, and he came for me. And so the shepherds begin this encounter. They're terrified with fear, but now they're joyful, and they're spreading the good news to everyone. So, friends, when you look on your bulletin announcement and you have your fill-in-the-blanks, let's remember three things today as we celebrate Christmas together. The first thing to remember is that Christ entered our world, and as a result, we can now enter His. We have access to God now through Jesus. Christ entered our world, so we can now enter His. Jesus says to you and to me, He doesn't just say, believe in me. He doesn't just say, believe that I exist. He doesn't just say, believe the historical record of the apostles and the shepherds and the magi and the people sharing the story of their encounter with Jesus from the first century, not just to believe the story. Jesus says to us, follow me. Don't just believe in me, follow me. That is, is where salvation is, when we become his followers, his disciples. 
And when we do that, friends, when we do that, the Bible says we will have peace with God, a peace that transcends all understanding, a peace, peace on earth upon all those on whom God's favor rests. Friends, do you have God's favor today? Are you in Christ? Have you put your trust in him? What we're going to do now is we're going to have a time of invitation. And I'm going to ask for a response from you. I've said a lot of words to you. I've talked to you about Jesus. I've talked to you about God coming near to us to be our Savior, to rescue us from this dark world, to lead us into eternal life through faith in Him. If you want that, God says, I need you to respond to me. God says to in John's Gospel, it says, but as many as received Him, as many as received Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? It's when you say yes to Jesus. It's when you step over the line of faith. And as many as believed in Jesus, instead of, of staying in darkness, they are coming into the light. They're coming into the light of the world, and they're putting their trust in Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you now to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And the worship team's going to come up, and they're going to get ready to play a song. And I just want to ask you one question. Are you ready to follow Jesus? He says to each one of us, follow me. Lord Jesus, we do in our hearts. We say yes to you. We say that we believe that you are the son of God, that you came into this world in a miraculous way, that you lived a miraculous life, that you showed us how to live. And you even died for us so that our sins could be forgiven. Lord, we know the gospel story. And you say to us, the wages or the consequences of sin is death. Lord, we don't want to live in the consequences of sin anymore. We want the second half of that promise in that verse. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Lord, we turn away from our sin. We turn away from maybe ignoring you or not believing in you or trusting in you or maybe getting mad at you because of something that happened in our life. Lord, we turn away from all that. We turn back to you and we say, we ask you, Lord, would you be my savior? Would you be my rescuer? Would you forgive me of all the bad things that I've done in my life? Would you accept me into your family and give me eternal life? Lord, would you teach me what it means to follow you? And help me to be a new person from this day forward. God, please do that in my life. And all of this I ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. What we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to come down here. And I'm going to be ready to receive you. Because Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before men, which means whoever publicly says to people, I declare that I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to be his disciple. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before